This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. On October the 7th, on the morning of October the 7th, the Hamas group, terrorist group, went into Israel and they slaughtered 1,400 Israeli people, innocent people, men, women and children. Uh, It was a terrorist attack. It was an appalling massacre of innocent people. And... Since then, the Israeli response has shocked many people and to perhaps put it at its best is to quote the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who said on Monday when he told the Security Council of the United Nations that this appalling massacre committed by Hamas did not justify the collective punishment of the Palestinian people He condemned the clear violations of international law involved in this response, and he talked about this act by Hamas having a context, and he called on the world to rally round the values on which our free world is based, which are the rule of law, democracy, and free flow of information. And it has Perhaps it does impact, I think, the statement by the UN General Secretary, and most particularly on the United States of America, which is an ally of Israel's and a supporter of Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli Prime Minister, who is leading uh, this response. So far in this response, 5,000 people have in Gaza, Palestinians have died, 3,000 of them children. And there have been other punishments that I know our listeners be aware of to do with energy, food, water, and all means of normal living. So what are we going to do? The world, it appears now, is on the brink of something that is as terrible as I've seen in my lifetime and that takes us back to times before I was born, including the Second World War, that outrage committed by Hamas was the worst mass killing of Jewish people since the Second World War. From Washington now, we're joined by Niall Stanich. Niall is Associate Editor of The Hill newspaper there, 
and White House columnist uh, for the paper. Niall, the United States of America and President Joe Biden have offered unqualified support to Benjamin Netanyahu, who Joe Biden told us last week, Bibi, as he's known, has been a friend for 40 years. The United States has offered uh, unconditional support. It has sent two warships. It has sent 2,000 troops. And, of course, the weapons being used in this response are American weapons. America is a democracy. Last time we looked. And you have written a superb piece for your newspaper, The Hill, about how America is divided in this response, or at least parts of America, people who have access to media. Yes, that's right. Sorry, it, it was uh, a piece that was really about the fact that American society is uh, very divided over this, often in very heated and personal terms, understandably so, given the horrific scenes that we have seen unfolding, both in terms of the Hamas attack and in terms of the enormous uh, civilian death toll in the Israeli response. Broadly speaking, as we talked about last week, Eamon, the American public leans more by a significant margin toward Israel than toward the Palestinians in its overall uh, sensitivities. But obviously, this is uh, both a tragic and um, complicated situation. And so there are voices being raised, uh, particularly on the left of the Democratic Party, expressing Uh, disagreements and sometimes outrage with that full-throated support President Biden has offered. There are so many elements of this that we could talk about, Eamon, but just one thing to add to your um, description of the uh, military assistance that is already on its way to Israel. In addition to that, President Biden has requested uh, $14 billion of extra aid for yes. Israel as part of a package that is now before Congress and that also includes aid to Ukraine and a number of other matters. Yes, and many people have des- described Netanyahu as a Trumpist figure, including his disregard for democracy in general, but also he faces and has faced criminal charges. Mm. And he has been in power for 15, 16 years now. So he is responsible. And the question of when the Secretary General of the United Nations uh, suggested that this Hamas atrocity had a context, Israel immediately called for his resignation, and he was assailed by Israel and those who support them for saying what I think every sensible person, every human being, would admit that there is a context, and it's a long and troubled context. It is, I think, and that is a very important point in two ways. One, the furious Israeli reaction to what the Secretary General said was telling in itself, and I think is part of a broader picture where uh, the current Israeli government and its most vigorous boosters here in the United States often seek to paint legitimate criticism of Israeli policies as anti-Semitic. Now, I think we have to be careful here. Are there anti-Semites opposed to Israel? Clearly there are. Clearly there have been an increase in anti-Semitic attacks here in the United States. Clearly that's a real problem. That does not um, disqualify uh, people's right to have 
uh, sympathy with the Palestinian aspirations or sympathy with the Palestinian grievances or sympathy with the terrible suffering um, in uh, Gaza as it comes under this enormous bombardment. Just one final point also in the United Nations, Eamon, as you're probably aware, there have been various attempts that have so far been thwarted to get a UN Security Council resolution uh, on this. Um, Basically, the US pushing one more pro-Israel side and the uh, Russian and Chinese uh, delegations pushing a more pro-Palestinian one. It is notable that the resolution that had got most backing, which was from Brazil, was opposed and therefore fell as a consequence of the United States opposition. Uh, That Brazilian uh, resolution would have condemned Hamas, would have called for humanitarian aid and the protection of civilians, and the United States vetoed it on the basis that it did not explicitly state what it termed Israel's right to defend itself. Yes, and that's a major problem for the democratic world. Um, And as you point out in your piece for The Hill, most figures on the centre-left in the United States, including President Biden, are emphatic supporters of Israel. You do, however, also point to younger, as you described them, younger, more progressive figures who tend to be more sympathetic to the Palestinians. And, of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, as she's known, and other members of what's known as the Squad, They are a a kind of left of center rump of the Democratic Party, really. They have expressed their disquiet, shall we say, or dismay. Mm. They certainly have, yes. Uh, Congresswoman Ilan Omar, a fellow squad member with AOC, has been particularly vigorous about that, both in terms of criticizing Biden's approach, criticizing what she sees as a willful blindness to the suffering of the Palestinians, even by members of her own party. I do want to also uh, pick up on, in, in agreement with something that you just said, which is about the younger people. It, the polling is actually really interesting on this question. When Americans are asked about their sympathies in the conflict or your sympathies with the Israelis or the Palestinians, there is a very clear relationship between age and where those sympathies lie. Essentially, the older the person you ask, the more likely they are to sympathize with the Israelis. There's a poll just came out yesterday here, reputable poll from The Economist and YouGov, and the one age group in which a plurality said their sympathies were for the Palestinians rather than the Israelis were the under 30s. And I think that does point to a way the uh, framework of this debate is shifting, even as it remains the case that that the American population at large is uh, far more sympathetic to the Israeli position than, say, the overall population of Ireland would be. Yes, and you point out that there are battles among Democrats and that these disagreements can have an intensely personal edge. Mm. And you point to one in particular. This is a disagreement between Congressman Richie Torres who's a Democrat from New York and a vigorous backer of Israel, and uh, Omar. Mm. And uh, you point to what she she asked a a rhetorical question of Torres in in the personal confrontation, really. Mm. How many more killings is enough for you? Is it a thousand more, two thousand more, three thousand more? How many Palestinians would make you happy if they die? So there is a serious edge to that, mm. and this is, these are two Democrats. 
Yes, that's right. And I think it's interesting that the split really is within the Democratic Party. Among Republicans, there is overwhelming support for Israel. Among Democrats, and actually, let me rephrase that slightly. It's not only among Democrats, it's among, I would say, left of center people in the yes. United States. There is a very pronounced split, and it goes to really fundamental questions in this conflict. Uh, which, by which I mean not just the events of the past few weeks, but the events of the past several decades. Because among older people, and President Biden is actually a good example of it, there is not only sort of support for Israel in a very simple what will we do for Israel now sense, there is a perception of Israel as under threat because it is surrounded by Arab countries, because it has previously, albeit a generation ago, fought existential wars against Arab armies that were seeking its yes. destruction, and so on and so forth. I think what we see is that among younger people, there's a completely different view of Israel to that, one that naturally enough focuses on the occupation of the West Bank, which is illegal under international law, focuses on the degradations of life for the Palestinians, and also focuses on the fact that the United States government, under administrations of both parties, has underwritten that Israeli behavior, both financially yes. and with military hardware. And so that brings people to a far different view of the conflict than the one espoused by President Biden. Yes, and it's true also that people of a certain age, and I'm of that age, and Biden certainly is, will remember a different Israel mm. and will remember in the United States that traditionally Jewish people have voted for the Democrats mm -hmm. and would have had their own view of Israel. But what I suppose has changed is the expansion of Israel and Netanyahu's uh, prime ministership in particular Mm -hmm. uh, but many things uh, do change. Just to give an idea, again from a piece that you wrote about Harvard University, mm -hmm. and there was widespread outrage when Harvard's president, Claudine Gay, on Monday said, she condemned anti-Semitism in all its forms, and as she went on to say, it has no place at Harvard. This was in response to a formation of a group called the Palestinian Solidarity Committee at Harvard, which, of course, is one of the world's most renowned universities. Yes, that's right. And the Palestine Solidarity Committee had uh, sparked this enormous firestorm that's still going on when soon after the Hamas attack, that committee, which is, of course, primarily Harvard students, uh, if not exclusively Harvard students, released a statement in which it said that the, and I'm quoting here, the Israeli regime is entirely responsible for all unfolding violence. Um, that caused uproar, as you might expect, particularly yes. coming so soon after, you know, 1,400 Israelis approximately were slaughtered. Um, the debate is still going on because I think it touches on so many hot-button issues in American society. And one of the things that is, I think, depressing about this whole phase of the conflict, at least in the United States, is the way it has been utilized by some political partisans for their own purposes. So that, that I mean, 
my own view is that that statement by the Palestine Solidarity Committee was grossly insensitive and misplaced coming at the time that it did. But it has been utilized, I think, as part of a bigger cultural attack on academia, on students, on the Palestinian cause. Uh, and it has been utilized, I think, to, as have other extreme statements by uh, people who are effectively pro-Hamas, that has been used to discredit or delegitimize the broader arguments for Palestinian self-determination or against the Israeli uh, occupation. And um, that's unfortunate, I think, but, uh, but there yes, we are. I've watched and read a lot of American media in the last uh, 10 days or so now. They are reporting uh, from Israel, of course, and from Jerusalem, from Tel Aviv, and they are encountering Israeli spokespeople mm. who are not easy to interview, frankly, if mm. you're a journalist and you're trying mm. to get at facts. But what line is the media in general taking, say, the Washington Post, New York Times, mm. Wall Street Journal, and how informed are the American public who want to be informed? Let's let me put it that way, who do actually sure. read uh, newspapers and watch current affairs television. Well, we could probably do an entire podcast on that <laughs> very very question, to be honest. Um, I, I don't think this is my sentimentality as primarily a newspaper person in saying that I think newspaper coverage has been better than television coverage, in my opinion. I think yes. that some of the outlets you mentioned have at least made some solid and sustained effort to provide some level of context. Uh, I have not been a fan of the cable news coverage of this conflict. Right. Uh, I think yes. it has often sheared off context. I think frequently, uh, let, let me be careful how I put this, I think it is completely right that relatives of the horror in Israel are interviewed and are allowed to tell their story because those stories involve horrendous personal loss. Coupled with that, I think the marginalization, if not the exclusion of Palestinian voices from American television coverage has been disgraceful at times and has yes. actually short-circuited any uh, proper understanding of this whole matter as a complicated uh, conflict that does, in fact, have a context. Before we move on to uh, another matter, which is the result uh, that they have achieved in the House of Representatives by finding a speaker, mm. let me ask you how you think this will affect, if it will affect at all, um, because what's coming is likely to be ground invasion that may be terrible. Will this affect the presidential race next year? And in particular, how will it affect the race if it involves Donald Trump, who's had a very bad week, and we can go back to that, mm -hmm. and Joe Biden. So one of the interesting things about that, Eamon, is I feel that in international coverage of American politics, there's a lot of attention given to uh, the Jewish American vote. And that can be legitimate, or it can have slightly dodgy overtones as to what people are suggesting about the influence of Jewish Americans. The, the, that's all really a preface to say there is some evidence that Biden has lost support from Arab Americans and from his most, his own most liberal, the most liberal sections yes. of his own base. Yes. 
And the reason I mentioned the Arab American vote is that that is uh, happens to be very important in Michigan, which is a, a swing state, really. Yes. There's a significant Arab American population around Detroit in particular. And a serious fall for Biden in that with that constituency could have a big impact. Also, uh, and it's great that you ask this because we, we haven't actually discussed this uh, prior, but there was a new poll out just today from Gallup that notes that uh, President Biden's job approval rating among Democrats has tumbled 11 percentage points in the past month. Wow, that's dramatic. Uh, the worst reading of his presidency from his own party. Yeah. So that is a very, I think, worthwhile topic of discussion and very interesting that that fall should be so abrupt because it points to the shifting American political dynamics around this topic. Yes, indeed. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Now let's talk about the new speaker. He's Representative Mike Johnson. He's a Republican, of course. He's from Louisiana, I, I understand. And he uh, is very close and was endorsed by Donald Trump. He is also someone who believes that Donald Trump should be in the White House now uh, and that Joe Biden is not the legal president of the United States. Happy days. Yeah, he opposed the certification of the 2020 election. He voted against uh, the certification. That of was on January the 6th. That was on January the 6th, on the evening of January the 6th, when there was still debris in the halls of the Capitol. But uh, perhaps even more, well, I don't want to say more importantly, but more unusually, he was one of the people spearheading prior to January the 6th, uh, 
I don't know if in Irish or various legal terms we use the term amicus brief, but it's basically a supporting legal document to a particular yes. cause. And he, uh, now Speaker Johnson, was one of the people who was pushing a, an amicus brief to declare the results in four key swing states invalid. Yes. So he was very much enmeshed in the attempt to overturn the 2020 election. Yes. And clearly that has actually helped him get elected within the Republican conference. It is also something that Democrats, including President Biden, will clearly be reminding voters of very frequently between now yeah. and next year's election. Yes, because that, this was an attempted coup in effect mm. and will be, I think, probably shown to be in the courts of law in the future. He's also against gay marriage and, I may be wrong on this, but I got the distinct impression, and these words were used, that he wants a, quote, national ban on abortion. Well, he has talked about getting abortions down to zero, which is uh, quite a startling. Which national, uh, which would which would obviously be be national by by its nature. He is very very conservative, even by the standards of the present day Republican Party. Um, there are, you know, many examples of that in terms of his opposition to same-sex marriage, in terms of his opposition to abortion. Um, he complained on one occasion um, that uh, while what he termed race, creed, and sex are inherent um, qualities, homosexuality and cross-dressing are things that you do. And therefore, and I'm again quoting from him, we don't give special protections for every person's bizarre choices. Right. So that's sort of where he's coming from. We should also mention, Eamon, he is in a rather... Um, unusual uh, arrangement, which is a so-called covenant marriage, which is a very uh, religious, it's a very religious terminology, uh, only, I, I think, enshrined in law in a few states, which, to make a long story short, makes divorce more difficult um, yes. uh, than it otherwise would be in a standard marriage. Um, so, a very conservative figure all around. So, Donald Trump, and we'll come to his woes now, he has lost the man he called my Kevin, mm. but, but he's gained someone that might be described as my Mike. He has, and more to the point, he has shown his muscle yet again by flattening people who might have become speaker who were <laughs> less enthusiastic, yeah. notably the last person before Johnson, who they tried to get in, a guy called Tom Emmer, who had voted to certify the election, who had seemed lukewarm to Trump. And when Emmer was running around the Capitol trying to get everybody on board, Trump wrote on Truth Social that he was a rhino, an acronym for Republican yes. in name only, who was out of touch with the Republican grassroots. And that was that for Mr. Emmer. Now, uh, Donald Trump in the courts this week, we should start with the court in Washington, where Jack Smith is the prosecutor. Mm. And it looks as if Mark Meadows, who was the chief of staff to Donald Trump at the very end, and has also been charged in Georgia, that Mark Meadows has done a deal with the prosecution in the Washington case, which is due to begin in March. And it's a very serious charge by a very serious prosecutor. And if Trump's chief of staff has done a deal, 
flipped, uh, to use the word. It means that what he, everything he knows he'll have to tell, and he's already had to testify before a grand jury, and he can't plead the fifth. Yeah, this is a, a very interesting story from ABC News that Mark Meadows has done a deal where he was granted immunity in in uh, return for his testimony to the grand jury. And the key point, I think, is that Meadows reportedly has said that Trump knew that Uh, He was being dishonest when he claimed to have won the election on election night and that Meadows had told him that the claims of election fraud, which he made subsequently, were basically nonsense. Now, this gets slightly complicated in the sense that Trump's argument appears to be that he genuinely believed the election to be stolen and therefore his efforts to overturn it were... uh, well-intentioned in his view, but ill-advised. Obviously, testimony by Meadows, if it is as ABC News has reported it, would significantly undercut that case. Yes, and just finally, Niall, to give the former president more headaches, in Georgia, Mm. where he and 18 others are being charged with racketeering, effectively, for trying to change the election result by undermining people and by going to polling booths and questioning all kinds of things. The district attorney there has decided to uh, charge them with racketeering. Mm. A number of Trump allies, uh, lawyers, some of them, have done a deal with the district attorney there. Now, Meadows is also charged there, but he hasn't, as far as we know, done a deal. But that is also very serious, isn't it? Oh, it is, absolutely. And it's very serious because these four Trump allies have now pleaded guilty. That clearly, on one level, undercuts Trump's argument about a witch hunt and so forth in a very big way. It's also a measure of vindication for the district attorney down there, Fanny Willis, who has laid out this really wide-ranging case. She got some criticism for that initially, Eamon, because people thought it would be too unwieldy and people will wriggle out of it. But what in fact has happened so far is that she's rolling up these lower level uh, charged, you know, accused people, um, and we shall see what they say. But Jenna Ellis, uh, Kenneth Cheeseborough, and Sidney Powell are the three people who were working to uh, help Trump's legal efforts, who have all now uh, taken a plea. So that in itself is a very serious uh, threat to the former president. A final question just about Meadows. Is it known or understandable why he would do a deal with the Washington prosecutor and not with the Georgia prosecutor? Uh, it's not, actually. No, I don't think we have a very clear uh, understanding or uh, we, we, we really don't know that. He has pushed back at the ABC News report, but not in very specific terms. So it's uh, exactly, it's a little bit unclear. And Meadows, we should say, I mean, while we're talking about him, is not necessarily the most credible witness because in a book published after his tenure as chief of staff, he sustained the idea that the election had been stolen and he's now claiming apparently differently. So that in itself is a wrinkle in this whole matter. Okay. As always, uh, now we're very grateful to you for joining us from Washington. Niall is the associate editor of The Hill. And we're very grateful to Niall, to all of you for listening. 
That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.